Okay, back here in studio with uh, former Governor Bill Walker, current candidate for governor, and his running mate, Heidi Dragas. Hello. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing, Jeff? You guys have been uh, kind of become regulars here on the on the old podcast. and We have. We've become regulars at a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we've been around a lot. So the election's coming up, and I think today's the 20, what, 27th, so it's about 12 days away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you guys fo- both filed initially, that was back in August, summer of 21, right? Mm-hmm. It was. And we did, we did the, we actually interviewed you guys downstairs and in, in the studio did a video interview. So I guess it's been, a, you know, over a year. What, uh, what do you, now it's down to the, you know, this new system. We got four of you and, uh, really three candidates that are actually out there campaigning. Charlie Pierce's Edie Grunwald just dropped out. You guys hear about yeah, that? We did yeah, we did hear about did that. Yeah. <laughs> She's still on the ballot though. Yeah. And he is too. So that's why he'll be there. But you know, it's, it's a uh, very different, you know, I was going to ask you, the first thing I wanted to ask you is in 2014, it was kind of the unity t- ticket, and it was a very, you know, now we have this kind of single primary deal. So there's you as an independent, a Democrat, Gara, a Republican, Dunleavy, mm-hmm. and then another Republican. So, you know, it's it's just a very different you know, system we have compared to in 2014. It is. You know, in 2014, Jeff, <clears throat> the polling is I came in, I, was, I always came in third in the polling behind behind Byron. I mean, you just you have the you have the partisan folks come in, and then I came in I came in third, mm-hmm. and so, but ultimately I ended up winning. So you know, it's it's now we don't we have a system that that there isn't a, um, you know, if everybody votes a second vote, we should be fine. So just you know, we'll see. It's a different. It's hard to, you know, predict with absolute certainty what's going to happen. So, I mean, my kind of analysis is you guys are running against the incumbent, but you're also have Gara, but you guys, both of you, I assume, want, want the other person's votes because the Republic, you know, what Mike Dunley... second place votes, yeah. Mm-hmm. second place vote, because Dunley was really the only, you know, Republican. I mean, you have Charlie Pierce, but he's not, not raised much money, not really campaigning. So, mathematically, if you were to get all of Gara's votes, or vice versa, if, if you guys were to share all the votes, um, what, one of you would prevail. But the question is how, how you know how do you how do you get you know how do you communicate that? I know it's a different well, system. Well, here, here's how you do it. Get a little well, closer to the you know, you know a, cu- a couple of things. One, one is you know we're a unity ticket. So so you know Heidi comes from the left, I come from the right, so we're a unity ticket. So it, one of our co-chairs uh, said early on, and she's very you know astute you know, Democrat. She says whoever can get the middle, the most middle right will win mm-hmm. because it's going to take that. So I, that's the difference is, you know, my second votes, a lot of my second votes, you know, go to Dunlop, you know, because I, I come from the right. And so that's going to be the challenge for, for Les to be able to get, you know, as many of my second votes as possible. On his second votes, <clears throat> I think we're a pretty good fit in some respects. And I think they're not going to go jump over us necessarily to, to Dunleavy. So I think we're in a good position. I really do. You, you guys and you, you and then Garrett Cook were I, – I've, Forget the final numbers, but it was like razor thin for the primary. It was almost the same amount of votes. Yeah, I mean, I think it was maybe a few hundred out of was, out of, out of you know, tens he, of thousands. Yeah, he came in a couple hundred ahead, and you know, typically at a, a primary, the nonpartisans typically don't show up because it's a partisan primary, and so the turnout typically is less in the nonpartisan. So this primary was larger than usual because of a number of reasons. One, the Peltola, so, you know, <clears throat> pay, right. Palin deal was a big one. So I, I don't know that that. Um, uh, that's an absolute indicator of, of uh, uh, you know, and in that in that race, there was no strategic voting. It was just straight up. 
Well, it was, you know, yeah, just, it, it was, was just straight up. One, you know, and knowing yeah, that one vote, knowing that four people were going to move through. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, 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 so I don't know that that's an absolute indicator of. I mean, I think the primary turnout was a little over thirty percent, which was higher for uh, higher than normal for a mm-hmm. primary. But for the, for this general, we're looking at you know probably fifty percent because yeah. we, it's interesting. Um, this year we have the governor race, we have the U.S. Senate race, and the U.S. House race plus redistricting. We have fifty nine legislative races now. Now, in 2024... And the Constitutional Convention. And the convention question, yeah. which is at yeah. once every 10 years. Now, in 2024, in two years, we're only going to have the U.S. House rate, uh, wrap up. No yeah. governor, yeah. no yeah. senator, no, yeah. no Sullivan. Yeah. So it's going to be a much you know less exciting election, I guess, yeah. in, in two years compared to this election where you have, like you said, Constitutional Convention question once every 10 years, three statewide races, and then 59 legislative races. There's normally 50. Yeah, um, but we, we have, have, have a presidential race then mm-hmm. on that one. Pres- right, we have presidential, <laughs> yeah. but I'm saying for Alaska-specific, yeah. it's, it's no, pretty... No, you're right. You're not right. exciting. So for us, Jeff, you know, I mean, you don't live by polls, but everybody does polls. And so, you know, we Of course, have... people would give me their polls more often. It's really hard. To, <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to give the damn yeah. polls. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I I publish those things. <laughs> so it's interesting, you know, our polls, and we've been very open about this, is that, you know, every poll we've seen, we haven't seen one that, Come, anybody comes closer than we do. My first poll, I was three points ahead of Dunleavy. I was done. That's, Kate, it was brought to me early on when I looked, was making a decision to, to whether it's going to run or not. There was, I said, well, show me some numbers. And I was three points ahead of Dunleavy. So I said, okay, well, it's the, within the striking range. I said, well, take some other polls, leave me out, put some other folks in that I suggested, and, and they didn't do well. And so, so now we're in a situation that every poll we've seen, we come closest um, you know, either uh, there was one that was done by Hayes, a head, just a head-to-head, which is round three, uh, head-to-head. We were point uh, three uh, behind, uh, three-tenths of a point behind Dunleavy, and, and Les was 11 down. He's moved since then. There's no question about that. But we still haven't seen one where he can where he can beat Dunleavy. And so, and, you know, I don't know if you saw Ivan Moore's post recently about that. saying I, you know, I, I did see that. Yeah, I actually shared it. <clears throat> and it's, it's, you know, we, we just were, less because a Republican, you know, leaning state. I mean, it's, it's Trump won the last Democrat elected statewide before Peltola. Now was 2008. That was, right. was baggage. Um, and that was after well, the Ted Stevens kind of whole, you know, FBI stuff. And that was still even well, ba- barely. Yeah. So two, two days after the, after the false conviction. Yes. Um, yes. Two days later as an election and whatnot. So, so we are, I've always said we are a, a red uh, leaning two to one uh, state pro, de, uh, pro development. And that's, I'm aware development state whatnot so but the thing about alaska too is that we 60 percent of alaskans don't identify with either party they are or, you know they're yeah, nonpartisan or independent you know no, no i think they, they they either way lean one way like sure. whenever i've run before i've knocked on doors and it's all it's always funny you, i'm sure you guys have seen this where you knock on somebody's door high and yeah. you know jeff you know and it's like well i'm a republican and then i go well no you're actually you're undeclared well, <laughs> well i'm a republican yeah you know so yeah. a lot of people they have and I, what, oh, I've, sure. what I've always kind of noticed is like the under, the U's tend to be maybe more a little more conservative and then the nonpartisans tend to be a little more progressive. That's kind of maybe that mm-hmm. could be. And then you have the Independence Party people who I always say they think they're registering as independent. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> of this whole, you know, this Joe, did you know Joe Vogler? I didn't know him, no. Man, this guy was, I would have loved to have known him. Yeah. You know, didn't he wear like a bolo tie and he always wore <laughs> nice yeah. suits? He was a. That's a the, move. Somebody should make a movie out of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was supposed yeah. to, he got. He got off, you know, before he was supposed to speak oh, at the I UN remember. for, on Iran, I think Iran, or, I mean, just really wild. Yeah. I read a good book about that had a whole chapter about him yeah. and, and yeah. Eagle yeah. and just kind of. Yeah, he was pretty amazing. So, amazing. wild history. And yeah. speaking of history, you know, Alaska was admitted uh, before Hawaii as kind of the democratic state. 
and then Hawaii was kind of the republic, they were the offset, and they've they've Switch. you know switched mm-hmm. over yep. over the last you know several mm-hmm. decades. Yep. Yep. So I was I was going to ask you about the we've talked about this before, but with the uh, ruling of the court, the Ninth Circuit, the unlimited contributions, um, there was some move in the legislature to you know put some limits in place. They didn't weren't able to do that, and now there's unlimited. And 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 you your campaign and Dunleavy's campaign have both benefited from some some pretty big donations. Gara's gotten some big ones too, but you guys have gotten the kind of um, larger ones, and so has Dunleavy, mm-hmm. and some legislative candidates too as well have been getting big donations. Um, do you think there should be, I mean, if you were to win, would you push for some kind of limits? Because yeah. we're seeing some big numbers come in from a lot of these. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, would, we would push for that. We went from the lowest in the nation to the highest in the nation during this election. And we'd call yeah. up somebody and say, well, the most you can give is 500. Okay, well, we'll give you the most. And we'd call them back and say, well, actually, now you can give 1,500. Oh, okay, that was 500. No, no, no 15. Okay, I'll give you 1,500. It's very confusing. I mean, it's, it's not like a Ponzi confusing. scheme. I mean, it's not like we're making this stuff up. <laughs> so it was, it was awkward in fundraising <laughs> yeah, because <clears throat> one person- Hey, we need some more. One person said, well, how much can I give you that you don't call me back again? And so we gave him the, the maximum, what the maximum- and then it changed. You called him, yeah. Called back, say, hey, and then good, I called him news. back. Yeah, so I called him back news. last week, and he was like, "What are you? What are you talking?" Yeah, so good so news. for the folks listening, there was there was it was for for many since two thousand six. I guess there was an initiative or refer, uh, ballot initiative, and it was kind of five hundred per year per candidate. And then there was a lawsuit, um, and then the court ruled. It was probably going back almost two years. The court ruled in favor. It was part of it was out of state. There was aggregate out of state limits. Mm-hmm. And they also challenged the limits, and then the court kind of ruled on, on the out-of-state limits, but they went back, and then they ended up ruling, well, they're totally unconstitutional, the limits, because they're you know, they so small and they weren't indexed. And then APOC, for a while, said, well, okay, 1,500, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But that was the staff. But then the commission came back and said, well, the court, the court said this in Ninth Circuit, so now it's no limits, and that was last year. And then that's when we've seen – I mean, I've seen some legislative candidates who are getting 10,000, 20,000, wow. you know, from, from – from one person mm-hmm. or one couple, mm-hmm. uh, which, and, and even if you're against the bigger limits, it's hard to play in a game. You don't want to say, I'm only going to take a thousand. Well, you got to play the rule by the rules of the game. If somebody else is playing, you know, by the rules of the game. And when I'm looking at, at $3 million coming in from the RGA, um, to Dunleavy, I get, I got to do something. I mean, I'm not going to sit back and I can't go into a gunfight with a pocket knife. So I got to, you know, we got to level the playing field as much as we can. We didn't, it's not possible to do that, but still you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, it's it's like the, it's like the wild west out there. He is. The it's the west. it is. It's the wild west of of campaigning right now in Alaska. I, I gotta say, um, for for me, I I'm not really complaining too much because it means maybe a little more money for for yeah. ads from campaigns. But but the the people who really you know the people who hate it the most I've noticed lobbyists because because you know for like mm. legislative rate if you live in somebody's oh, district yeah. so now they used to kind of okay five hundred whatever state but now they're they're getting you know contacted by candidates and state you know saying hey. Let's let's go. Yeah. So like it's funny. Some of the lobbyists I talk to are the most against it. They're, 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 <laughs> yeah, they had they had protection. They, they, they don't mind doing five hundred dollars times you know times however many people they can do. But yeah, now it's they're asking you know some. So there's been some big donations yeah. you know, coming from some from some lobbyists and you know Dunleavy's campaign has got some big ones. Even some legislative candidates have gotten some some bigger ones. But um, other thing I wanted to ask you: if you were to prevail, uh, the legislature is going to be very different next year. It's at least eighteen new House members. Some of those, have, you know, like Craig Johnson and Dan Sadler, have, will be returning. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a lot of new House members, a lot of people not running, some redistricting of, uh, impacts, and then the Senate too. Uh, going back, I've 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 checked, and every you know two years, you might get one or two new senators. Mm-hmm. This time, we're going to have at least five. I think it could be up to eight. Now, granted, Giesel would be kind of coming back if she were mm-hmm. to win, and then Kelly was in the House, so 
in Clamon, for example, was it, but so it's going to be people, legislative people, but it's going to be a very different look of the legislature. And, you know, going back to this fiscal deal and, and the, you know, Putin kind of bailed us out this year, but we can't really, that's, that's been our, over the decades, you know, we wait for the oil prices to go up and how's it going to be dealing with, you know, so many new people? Well, you know, in, in 2014, we had a lot of new people, uh, not as many as this time because of redistricting, of course. But, you know, we got through, you know, the percent of market value, the POMV, which had been, uh, Governor Mikowski had started that effort, whatnot, and people mm-hmm. had tried since then. So I think that's where the unity ticket comes in, quite honestly, because they look at our cabinet and go, geez, we see a whole bunch of, you know, you got Sheldon Fisher, you got Val Davidson. I mean, you got, you know, progressives, conservatives. And so I think that, They'll, I think we'll be able to do fine because we can approach them differently because it's not all one and all another. And so I think I think we'll be fine. Well, and also I would say too that it, you know, people matter and the kind of, you know, person someone is, you know, when they're a candidate is is how they, you know, respond in the real world. And both Bill and I are people. We're people people. Is that we're, we like talking to people. We like building relationships. We like, um, you know, figuring out ways to find common ground. And you can do that with anyone. And that is something that I saw as governor, Bill did, um, and, you know, as a candidate. I, I really believe that we can work with anyone, maybe yeah. almost anyone. So, I, and that's something that is just, you know, kind of the, just the the kind of people that we are having, building on relationships and finding common ground. And that's how, you know, that's how, when it comes down to politics with a, with a small P, that's how you get things done is by, is by working with people and trying to find common ground. And that is just lacking right now from this governor. How did, how did you find, so in 14, 14- uh, you and Byron won, and then the Republicans had the House and the Senate. And then in 16, the House went to a coalition. Um, how did you find that, you know, kind of changing with kind of a divided legislature compared to when they had two, you know, chambers controlled by the Republicans? You know, I, I'm what I call a, I'm a blue-collar governor. I, I'll meet him at the bowling alley. I'll join the bowling team. We'll have a couple of beers. I love the. By the way, I, I play in the bowling league. Yeah, I loved it. I, I was on, on Chenault's yeah. bowling team, and, and, of course, Chenault can hit the the last ball I saw him throw, he threw it between his legs backwards and got a strike. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy is a phenomenal bowler. When I'm terrible, but I guess I'm 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 my I I show up. I will I will sit down with anybody anywhere. You know, I bought uh, you know sixty boxes of Girl Scout cookies from uh, you know Julie's Julia's um, uh, daughter you know in our office and had them you know delivered to every legislator with a with a personal note and and so I, I just. I, t- I tend to meet them where they are. I mean, I, I know the cliche is my door is always open. Oh, I went to their office or their cubicle, wherever they happen to be, or the bowling team. One of the things I, I've, I wasn't there really when you were governor. I kind of started coming. My first full-time session was 19, but I had come down a little bit. And um, and you, you had even one time testified in a hearing, didn't you? I did. I when did. you were governor, you I came did. in. Like, yeah, <laughs> I went in, it was on an issue that was important to me, so I went down. And they were not having some they, of those legislators. Yeah. Well, I told them beforehand. I went in, into the uh, the chairman's office of that committee and said. It was hey, resources, I think, <clears> right? Or? Well, it had to do with the lawsuit I was involved in. So, you know, you might as well, you know, have somebody that has some knowledge about it. So, mm-hmm. um, so they were, rather than talking about me, I said, well, let's talk to me and let's have a discussion. So, and I didn't do it any other than just, to, you know, clarify the record and, but I, I, I wish I would have been in Juno. That would have been a moment. You know, that would have been a real 
committee hearing to watch. It was, I think, resources, right? It was at resources, oh. and, and, and I told them beforehand that I w- what I was going to do, and so it wasn't any surprise. And, I mean, it was like two minutes beforehand. It wasn't like a week beforehand. Oh. I just, you know, I just looked at that and said, this is ridiculous. They, they, they don't have the facts. I have the facts. Just because I'm governor doesn't mean I didn't have a prior life or don't understand this stuff. So, yeah, I... What, what I was going to say is, you know, I was there 19, I was there the last four years and, uh, you know, initially Dunleavy was very weird. It was turned the cell phones in kind of, you know, to talk to it. And then it, that changed a bit with, after Babcock left. But, um, I, and I've said this before, even to him, I, I really never seen him in the Capitol other than on the third floor, mm. you know, you, he's obviously in the third floor and he kind of goes in the back, you know, and I guess when you were governor, I know you were a lot more active. You'd go into the folks offices. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. I in fact, and, and I, I guess I want to ask about how, you know how it you know some people say come to my office, but also being able to go to their office, I think might be a little little maybe easier to get some consensus or. Well, you know, I just I just I wanted to level the playing field. I didn't want to look like I'm the governor, you're not, and kind of thing. And so the way I met Louise Stutz is one time, one day on the third floor on a Saturday, there's a little dog running around. So I picked oh, up this little um, dog, Lou, Lou dog. Yeah, and a little and I, poodle. So I, went, I went door to door and uh, in, in down the, on the different floors, saying, trying to find the owner of this dog. Whatnot. That's why I met her. Whatnot. So, you know, for me, it's just um, that was before she was speaking. Then she became speaker. Yeah, before, yeah, she became speaker. Probably she, never forgot. <laughs> probably never forgot that you yeah. found the dog. <clears throat> so I, I guess Jeff, I, I like working with people. I like to find consensus, and some, and I think that anybody, two people, can find some grain of consensus, and then you build that. And, and, and I also like to hear it from their, their perspective, you know. So when I have a contentious issue, I want all sides on that. In the, on that. I don't want to just bring a bunch of folks that come and say, yeah, Governor, you're right about that. No, I want some people to come and say, no, you're wrong about that. And here's why. I, I, I crave that because that's how you come to better decisions. And I think people learn to appreciate that. Uh, I want to ask you guys about the uh, – there was just another announcement from the, you know, in the gas line from Sullivan was in Tokyo, and there was Rahm Emanuel, who's the ambassador. I've actually learned to be very – apprehensive about anything with the gas line. Cause I mean, you've been here a lot longer than me, but I've been here almost 20 years and it seems like every couple of years, somebody, you know, whether it's Murkowski or Palin or Parnell or you, or you can go back before that. Knowles, um, with this thing in Russia and this global kind of crisis with, with, you know, energy and gas in Europe, is there something, something here maybe, or, I saw that. That was that's called the October surprise. You know, right. I mean, 15, it was right, it, right before the 15, election. Fifteen days before the election. Yeah. Check off the box. Do something on the gas line. Do have have a you know have a LNG summit. Well, that was a conference call with some some folks in in Japan that we know. I mean, we've met with them all. Jogmac, all those folks. We met. You, with you them hosted. Uh... <clears throat> we hosted it here, and we brought uh, over a hundred folks here from the market. Uh, we hosted at Girdwood, at uh, and we went up on the slope. We flew them up on the slope. And uh, for the day and for the night, and they spent the night up there, and, and we showed them. It was miserably cold, blowing. We wanted to see that, and they loved that. We took them down to Nikiski uh, to show them the LNG terminal, and um, they absolutely um, loved that. But we took them back to the cannery in Kenai for uh, a meal and an evening, some talks, and we had 15 snow machines lined up, um, all fueled up, ready to go. We had to, we'd cut a trail for them. They absolutely Went crazy on that. They never been, bet, on snow, yeah. snow, never been on snow machines before. So, um, so, so we and, and then we we had presentations by the presidents of the producers. Uh, we're here. Uh, every ANC, you know, Aaron Shutt of Doyon, ASRC, Rex Rock. I mean, all you know about our abilities in in Alaska, and 
about two years later, we end up with 15, you know, non-binding, you know, MOUs for LNG out of Alaska. They absolutely loved it. We won the Super Bowl of, of the market. I leave office, all that goes away. Um, the contracts were allowed to expire. I got a call from the president of the largest buyer in Japan about a month after I was off to off, out of office. He said, what happened? I said, well, we had an election. He said, I understand that, but what happened? Our, our phone calls aren't being, being uh, returned. You know, the president of Exxon uh, Mobil, Alaska, Darlene Gates, came to me in 2020 and said, about at the third meeting with, with, uh, with Dunleavy after he was in office about the gas lines, Exxon was, was pushing on the gas line because of Point Thompson issues. And he said to her, why don't you understand? I don't like this project. I don't want it to happen. So that, that was the full stop. So it wasn't like we lost the market. Well, yeah, because the market that he, he turned away um, all went to Louisiana, went down to you know the Gulf Coast, you know Port Arthur in Texas. They went someplace. We don't have the. We're not the only ones in the world with gas. So they went elsewhere. Australia, <laughs> Australia, Qatar, absolutely, absolutely. So, so the question, Jeff, is: Can we get them back? Can they trust us a second time? Because we were, man, we would be moving dirt today. I, I tell you, if uh, if I'd stayed in office, because we we were that close. So, we had the market. We have the gas. We have seventy nine federal permits. The only thing we're, we're, la- we're lacking really is the leadership at the, at the third floor. So at the debate last week, Dunleavy asked you about the China deal, and you said something interesting. You said that tr- it was a Trump that kind of brought the idea, the, chi- the China he, idea? He, no, he brought him, uh, not the idea. Uh, I met with Trump in the Oval Office during Energy Week, three governors. <clears throat> so I talked about the gas line, and afterwards he took me aside. He said, well, hey, what can I do? I like projects. And I said, okay, well, we need, we need some help with the market. It's so funny, too, because he always talks so much like, he talks against China so hard. And then, <laughs> well, that was before that. Was know, before that during the campaign. That you know, he, yeah. But then he like, he's kind of an interesting character. He'll talk so bad about somebody and then he'll bring him in. Yeah. And, and try to work with it. It's like, yeah. really, this is really strange. So about a, two weeks after that, uh, that me, the meeting with Trump in the Oval Office, we get a call out of the blue that the, the president of China wanted to stop in on the way back from Mar-a-Lago with Trump. He wanted to stop in, in Alaska to meet me. So they did. So we had dinner. He was here for four or five hours. We went out and saw, went out to. I remember the big uh, convoy, all the, all the SUVs. All so and so that sort of began that. And then Trump, you know, selected Alaska's project to be one of the project signing agreements in in Beijing. And there were like maybe a hundred, three hundred applied, and they picked like a hundred. They had twenty at the the, the top signing table, and and uh, we that was there. that big meeting yeah. with G and you and Trump and all these. A big table of, yeah. I, mean, I don't know how long that table and, was. And it was, you know, the president of Boeing was sitting next to me, the president of Lockheed. I mean, there are some big, big deals were signed. But President Trump was at the, at the lead of all that. I mean, he was, you know, and he went on from there, from Beijing uh, with AGDC on to uh, Vietnam. And we signed one with the president of Vietnam as well, with Trump uh, there as well. So he was, he was, he was very, in, very involved in all that. So we were, we were. We had won the Super Bowl as far as the as far as the market interest was all about a lot. They hated uh, other projects hated us because we had gotten so much worldwide attention uh, as a result of what happened with President Trump. Should the state have, and I, I think they, I believe they should have, but should the state have in the past built the the line to Fairbanks, and and you know to for energy for Fairbanks, obviously more energy for you know the interior, I'll deal with some of that pollution stuff. But then if the state would have built it or financed most of it to get to Fairbanks, wouldn't we be in a much better position now with extending it down to the... Probably not, just because if you're going to do a, a, you know, a large line to Fairbanks, there's ways of getting uh, energy to Fairbanks. And, you know, really, Jeff, if we bring a gas off the slope to Fairbanks, I mean, there's, you know, right now they pay about $8 MCF to um, uh, Hillcorp, about $8 to NSTAR to get the gas to the LNG plant. 
well, we take it off the slope, it's our royalty. You know, people in the unit, as you know, use well, it for free. So we take it off, we take it our share out, out of the slopes. So they're saving $8. And there's no transmission over to where the plant would be because it would be in the unit. So you're saving $16 right, right from the get-go. You know, the slope has the cheapest energy in the nation, and Fairbanks has the most expensive energy in the nation. Right. Fairbanks is at $23 per MCF, and the North Slope, it's zero. So 500 miles, you've got, you've got a big difference. So we can do that, but, you know, doing a big, a great big pipe at Fairbanks pre-build, that's a tough one because, you know, the, the O&M, it's just hard to, hard to justify that. You've got to do a whole project, not a half a project. I don't know. I just feel like the state builds roads and we build, we used to build roads. We used to build, we used to do things, but I mean, the state, there's, I would you know argue there's an infrastructure role for the state on some of this stuff. And I, I don't know. I just feel like if, if it would, if we would have had something in the Fairbanks, maybe this thing would have made a little more economic sense for the people that wanted it, you know, in Asia. Um, and like, you know, when you ran in 2010, I remember that's when I used to first came across you and you said, we used to, we used to build things. Now we just yep. study things. And yeah. Um, no, we just missed study hall when I was in, when I was in the office. That's why we went to the market. And we put the, that's why we put the deal together. The two most important things for a project, can you find the gas, and is the market there? So we find the gas every day and put it back in the ground, and the market came, and we, we were ready to go. I mean, and you know, finding someone to actually build and own it is, is like, I mean, it's not that complicated. Quite honestly, we built an oil line, you know, 45 years ago. I think we can build a gas line now. But I don't think this, I, I think this time the state wouldn't, I don't see the state having a role. I don't think they need to have a role other than putting the deal together. In other words, making sure that, that the gas is at a price that it, it's competitive, obviously, and that the market has the stability that they need, um, and then step away and let the private sector do it. If, if this were to happen at some point ever, I'll ask you, Heidi, you were, you know, the labor commissioner. I just, I guess, what, what do you think the economic impact, I mean, I, I assume it would be pretty major. Like, you know, oh. you heard these stories about the 70s and profound. all the money and just all the boom that would, I mean, it would be, would it be, a, I mean, years of construction? It'd be years of construction. And, um, but also if you think about sort of the, the ripple effects of that, because then there's the support services that are there to help build the pipeline and there's, you know, camps to operate. And I mean, it, the, the impact that it would have on our economy is huge. And then you have, you know, operation and maintenance, which would be for many, many years to come. I mean, Alieska, you know, folks that have been working for Alieska, I just met one on the plane. He's been working for Alieska for 30 years doing operations and maintenance. He came up here and stayed and um, raised a family here. So, I mean, it, the, the, it's hard to understate the impact um, you know, but it's something too that, you know, Alaska faces this challenge and, and, and there, and there's, it's, it's a challenge that, that most states, you know, frankly, most countries are facing is a workforce shortage and it's, we're getting squeezed even more in Alaska because we'd have, we've had 20,000, um, working age Alaskans leave the state in the last three years. Um, that's having a tremendous impact right now. We have a... Um, we have a workforce shortage and at a time when, you know, there's going to be this influx of dollars, um, through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, all, all this to say is that we need to start like getting, doing what we can to get the word out through our workforce development system. And we have a really strong workforce development system here in Alaska to start training workers now and this is happening through you know that there's different um you know workforce agencies the the um, building trades unions are starting to ramp up 
their um, apprenticeship programs because they see that there's going to be plenty of work down the line and you've got to, you know, it takes years to become an apprenticed laborer or carpenter or um, electrician or plumber. And so they're ramping up their um, efforts right now. And that's kind of the beauty of apprenticeship. Yeah, I mean, I'm, on my, elastic. You know, I'm on my condo board and we have a lot of contractors we use for, we have a maintenance, summer, winter maintenance, you know, it's a great company and they've been with us for years, but you know, they, they're having a hard time yeah. finding just labor, you know, laborers and other companies we use to do other things. They've, it's kind of like a broken record now. It's like, well, we're sorry. We're behind a little bit. We we're having a, you know, a little bit of a hard time finding people to, and they're paying pretty, you know, they're paying good wages. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of like, you know, I guess if there was a boom, people would move up here, but um, like in the, in the seventies, but there's just such a shortage overall of, you know, whether it be skilled or unskilled, you hear all these people, you know, we're looking for people to apply. Well, and part of the problem too, is that we we're we're in a recession right now in this state. And it's this, and it's this problem that keeps compounding where we, <clears throat> we struggle to keep people here because we lack affordable housing. It is really expensive to live here. People can't, can't rent. They can't buy. I think the average Price in Anchorage is like four hundred and yeah, almost four hundred. I mean, who can 000. afford that unless you have you know a uh, hundred thousand plus salary? I and mean, now interest rates not, have gone up, so you know these houses more cost expensive. more. I mean, the yeah. the I forget I saw something, I saw somebody it was a a, a tweet about like the three hundred thousand dollar house at six percent versus like four per three and a half percent. I mean, it's like it's it was like a thousand dollars more a month or something some some it was, it was it was some kind yeah. of incredible amount of money the, the price of the house is secondary to the, the interest rates in many respects mm-hmm. because that's going to drive the whole thing as far yeah. as you're going to be paying and, and so but one additional you know you're right about the jobs in alieska analysis shows that there was 70 about 77,000 jobs created during the construction of the pipeline but the difference on the gas line you know we we get low cost energy in our state we you know we ship out almost all exports are raw materials almost all of them and then they're they're made into something someplace else we don't do that here because of cost of energy we even ship fish out of here in the raw in the round because of a cost of energy well Stephen Stephen haycox you know he's my history professor a long time ago at ua he wrote a book alaska and american colony which yeah touches on a lot of this exactly. you know we're kind of still like almost in some ways a colony of mm-hmm. take all take all the stuff away and we'll, yep. we'll refine it yep. somewhere. speaking speaking of that i want to ask you you've on the radio and in the campaign lately, you've been talking about this kind of idea of two dollar gas, and I want to I want to ask you about Good. that because I'm Thank kind you. of Thank you. curious how that would <laughs> Thank you. how that would work. You know, when I worked on the oil pipeline as a, as a carpenter, I we always talked about you know, during our breaks, you know, how exciting it would be to have low cost energy in Alaska because of because of you know a lot of all this oil and this piece of pipe we're putting together it didn't happen. And here's why it hasn't happened: it's been it's been a burr under my saddle for a long time. You know, the Constitution says we're supposed to develop our resources for maximum benefit of Alaskans. To me, that means means low-cost energy. So what we do with our royalty oil is we sell it to the highest bidder, and we index it to the world price of oil. So royalty oil means so, for each barrel <clears throat> for each barrel produced, we, or well, we get one-eighth. We, we, we get a little bit of it. We get one-eighth. And so so we, t- we take that, and we get the highest price we possibly can, and we index it to an actually a premium to the local refiners. And I'm not picking on the refiners. You know, the... That's the deal we make with them when we sell it to them. So when the price goes up to $150 a barrel, 120 whatever it is, you know, we we as a state get more revenue, but we're taking it from, you know, we're taking it from residents because we're paying higher in in the, uh, uh, as a result of the energy cost. The highest I saw was $17 a gallon and no attack. I, I heard yet, uh, last week that it's now dropped down to $13 a gallon. They're pretty excited about that. So it's it's killing our state, the cost of energy. So what you do is you take that, that royalty, a share of it, you say, we're going to make it available to the refineries. 
on an open book process. You have to pass through the savings on to the, to the folks at the pump. And uh, yes, it's going to cost us some money to do that. We're going to lose some revenue doing that. But who's the biggest consumer of energy in Alaska? One of the biggest is, is Alaska, state of Alaska. Marine highway system, you know, all the, the buildings, the schools. You know, I saw Unilakleet is having, uh, Dutch Harbor is having a difficult time with their, uh, their schools because the cost of energy has gone up. Uh, the Alaska Railroad used a lot of fuel. So, you know, we sell it back to ourselves. And so we need to bring, it's going to cost some money. And there's a ways, uh, I have some, a, a plan of how to come up with that. But we got to bring down the cost of energy. I mean, every economy in the world that thrives has low cost energy. Iceland is an example. Struggling ones have a high cost of energy. Alaska, we are 49th in the nation as far as the 49th worst economy in the nation is Alaska. So I guess my question is practically how would you, because you, you wouldn't want to, wouldn't be, would it be unlimited? I mean, you wouldn't want somebody to buy 100,000 gallons at a, no, two, you can't. know, I mean, how, how would you practically kind of manage how would, how, how, how that would work. You know, that's some of the, you know, a, a couple ways is, is you have a card that's about, you know, so much, so much per, you know, that card is worth, you know, when you use that, it, it you know, you get so much, it, it, you know, $2 a gallon. Uh, you go over that, that amount, you don't. You make sure you can't export it out of Alaska, obviously. You know, imagine. That's what I was saying. A couple hundred thousand gallons. I got a couple of trucks. <laughs> but, you know, from a tourism standpoint, <laughs> people come to Alaska and rent an RV or something, and, you know, $2 a gallon, I think we'd, we'd see an uptick. I want I want winter tourism. The shoulder season, the winter is what I, uh, we, we are focusing on direct flights, obviously. But I, I just think we have a whole different, you know, the you know, it's part of it is, Jeff, I went to every mine in Alaska. I love mines. I love mines, except Pebble Mine. I'm not a Pebble Mine guy. <laughs> but I, I, all the other ones I do. And, and one mine, it, it, uh, a Red Dog, I said, what would you do if you had low-cost energy? And this is an interim thing until we get the gas coming. Once we get the gas coming, then we're good. Then we have low-cost energy. I mean, really low-cost energy. I mean, really low. So um, uh, I said, what would you do if you had low-cost energy here? And he just smiled. And, and this is the manager of, of, of Red Dog. He said, we'd mine that mountain over there, that mountain over, that mountain over there. He said, our biggest challenge is our cost of energy. I think they, they burn like 80,000 gallons a day. Uh, at Red Dog of diesel. I mean, good grief. So it, it would change it would change our entire economy with low-cost energy. So, Yeah, I, 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 uh, I was just going to say, I, I've spent a lot of time, well, sometime in Central Asia and in, in Turkmenistan. I mean, obviously much mm. different kind of political system, but they have real cheap gas there. It's like, uh, it's like 30, 40 cents. I mean, it's the cheapest in the world because they have a lot of oil and gas in Turkmenistan. So they, they, they hook their folks up. It's it's real cheap over there. My daughter's in the Peace Corps in Turkmenistan. Really? And what they used to say in the, right now? within the Peace Corps system is when they're having, it was bad somewhere, they'd always say, well, at least it's not Turkmenistan. And that's what she was. <laughs> and I'm surprised because they're really restrictive. Of, I didn't realize they let the Peace Corps, wow. It was. It's uh, one of the hardest countries to get into in, is, in the world. Did you fly while you were there at the, at the airport? I actually, no. So I went to Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan. Okay. And uh, we tried to, to get into Turkmenistan. I was with a buddy. And it's so hard. Like, yeah. basically, you can't just get a visa and, and fly, and you have to be part of a tour, a group, which is normally that's fine, but it's very expensive. Like, you can't just go in. Like, we were trying to get into Ashgabat, and it's actually f- fascinating. You probably know if your daughter was there. They had this guy, um, Turkmen Bashi. He, like, changed the names of the months of the calendar to one of them was for his mom. He became kind of like uh, this figure, which there's a statue of him, huge, bright. It rotates with the sun. Oh, yeah. He and, just, he just and, died. Like, one day he oh. died, and he just Suddenly, in I think 2006, and then some like a mid-level bureaucrat dentist guy took over. Yeah, it's oh, a very. No. But he he's got like a kind of a like a Kim you know Kim um, Kim Il Sung type yeah. kind of kind of um, 
cult personality over there. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange. They have, a, but they have a huge amount of energy. Yeah, they do, and it's very cheap. But a friend of mine went to uh, from Valdez went to Dubai, and he went to gas up, and you know, it was like twenty five cents, thirty five cents. He <laughs> said well, he looked at the guy across the across the pump, the local guy. He said, "What's it like a special on Tuesdays, or what's the, what's the deal here?" He said, "No, he's the guy smiles. You don't think we do to ourselves? We do to everybody else, do you?" So. <laughs> So that's like that's like coots. We we screw the other guy and pass this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we we can do this. I mean, we it's on an interim basis until we can get you know gas moving across the state and other things. But man, we we just sit back and and we're doing some of this stuff to ourselves, and we just need to figure this stuff out. And it's not that complicated. So I, you can bring down you bring that cost of energy in Alaska. You have a whole different you know, you know. I just don't know how long much longer we can survive, you know, in some of the rural areas. You know, because they buy they, they gas up once a year. They'll buy a barge load of, of, of uh-huh. energy, and you know, if they're buying it at seventeen dollars, and then then well, the, the price goes, you know, down thirty percent, they don't get that savings. The thing I always remember is, is uh, you know, Hugo Chavez, you know, pretty pretty brutal mm. dictator, but but great great marketing guy, <laughs> really good. The current guy, this Maduro or whatever, he's not as good, but he sent Sitco ships up to remember no he did because because Vitro or whatever it was he, he saw this you know super high price of whatever it was, yeah. so he he like you know marketing right, he sends his ship. Fuel oil, and they took it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, and and this is always kind of I've always given that example of of it's so expensive in rural Alaska that you got yeah. Venezuelan you know dictator guy sending up free. Yeah. I think as a state we should be doing everything that we can and pulling every lever to turn our economy around. Right now, Alaska's economy is circling the drain. I was talking about you know workforce issues. We're having a hard time. Um, attracting a workforce. We're having a time, we're having a hard time retaining Alaskans. They're leaving in, in droves right now. We've never quite had this kind of exodus um, in decades. And there's reasons for that. We don't, like I said, we don't have affordable housing. We lack affordable and quality, quality childcare, which is something I experienced in Juneau. And I have friends who are struggling finding childcare. I have there's just anecdotally Facebook posts. You know, we lost our nanny or our daycare closed down. I've seen two of those in the last month. I mean, people can't go to work if they don't have someone to care for their children. Our education system, we are in crisis mode right now. And alas, or I'm sorry, Anchorage is getting a taste of that right now. We've had six schools that are closing next year. Fairbanks had to close three. Um, there are you know, rumors that Juneau may have to close a school. I mean, every school district is feeling the pinch of a lack of investment in education um, in the last decade. And None of these things, I mean, if we're going to attract workers, if we're going to keep Alaska here, we have to fix these foundational pieces of our economy. And we're we're failing in these areas because of a lack of courage, uh, political courage, a lack of real leadership. I mean, this is what we should be talking about every single day. And this is what we, this is what Alaskans are telling us. They are freaking out about schools closing. They are tired of not being able to find workers. Well, who wants to come and live here when, you know, we don't invest in education and, you know, class sizes are growing. We're 1,100 teachers short this year for well, the yeah, I, in, in school districts across, across the state. This isn't a place people want to live. This isn't a place where businesses want to invest. They're leaving and finding other better opportunities elsewhere in the lower 48. I, so these are the foundational things 
we've got we've got to fix it. We've got to fix it if we want to turn things around in Alaska. I don't know as much about Juneau or Fairbanks, but I will say about Anchorage. I mean, we we have seen a low overall student you know population decline, and, and I, you know it's it's I know there's the BSA and that hasn't gone up much, but also I'd say you know there's some level of culpability on the school board. I don't know. I mean, there's this huge deficit. It's like like a seventy million dollar. I don't know how that happened when when students going population going down, um, the costs are going up. But but I mean, you know whoever to blame. I mean, it is a problem. I mean, if I'm looking to move here and you know, I'm not a parent, but it's like you're closing schools and there's a deficit, mm-hmm. you know, what, like what's, what's going well, on? We've that's, got a, it's not a good message. To we've say. got a terrible welcome mat for anybody to come to Alaska right now. And that's part of Part of it is we don't have a fiscal plan. We just don't have, I mean, that was my whole push, you know, when oil went to 26 was a fiscal plan. So we resolved a three quarters of the problem. We went from $4 billion in the hole to a billion dollars in the hole. Never thought I'd celebrate that, but you know, we need to, we need to close that out. We need a plan going forward so that there's, so we know that there's stability. There's, there's, you know, be able to afford fund education. Jeff, I want to, maybe I'm too aggressive for some people on resource development, but I, I want to, I want an endowment for education. I'm an endowment out of either a monetizing our gas or I'm, I'm an Anwar guy, you know, because I testified in front of the, you know, you know, U S Senate on, on, on that issue. And, and it was opened up, not because of my testimony, but I just happened to be one of those with, with, uh, you know, Congressman Young and, and, and Senator Sullivan in front of Senator Mikowski. But I want to monetize it. Here's the problem. We, we aren't allowed to, to develop our resources, and I want to put the face of our education on our resources. Texas has a $45 billion education endowment that takes care of their 50 billion. So fit, we go with, we need 50 billion. Just, we have to be bigger than Texas. And also, it costs more. And so 50 billion goes pre-K through university for uh, for a, a sustainable funding going forward, so well, a lot of other states, you know, that's part of our problem is a lot of other states have endowments or they have funds, exactly, and it's more predictable. We have kind of, you know, we don't really have we can't have debt. The Constitution bars these dedicate, so there's this kind of you know yearly budget, and they've, they've tried to forward fund a couple times. I mean, there was actually even a lawsuit mm-hmm. about yeah, about I that. forward funded, and then then I became and filed a lawsuit uh, against my forward funding of education, so. You know, okay, we have, we have to change an amendment, not a constitutional convention, an amendment. But let's let's look at all the resources we have. If we can't, my philosophy is, if if we can't develop something, you need to send us a check. And so I'm, I was very pleased. Governor Mikowski and I both wrote op eds on encouraging the state to to bid on those Anwar leases, and, and I'm I'm glad that they are still hanging on to them because oh, oh God, the the ADA. <laughs> I I would go, I would sit down with 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 President you know Biden, and you know when he came to Alaska, he was here for eight hours, and nobody went to see him. I would have gone to see him. I would have taken. I would have taken superintendent of schools. I would have commissioner of education. I would have taken, you know, Rex Rock of ASRC. Or I would. I would have brought Alaskan leaders to the president while I sat here on the tarmac for eight hours and say, "Let's let's help you understand our state." Not through a not through a, a, a lawsuit. There's a place for that. I mean, that's what I used to do. I understand that. Sit down and say, "Let me under, you understand our state." I did that with President Obama. We got off the Air Force One together here in here in Anchorage. He blurted out in the in the beast on the way over the Captain Cook. He said, "That's a car." I mean, uh, That's the, the presidential limo. President limo. Yeah. He Here's said, "He said I'm gonna I'm gonna support uh, offshore drilling in Alaska." And Byron said, well, "I'm surprised to hear that, Mr. President." He said, "Well, we do it better here. We might as well use our own resources on our way to renewable rather than somebody from another country." That was seven hours of chatting with the president on the flight. So, mm-hmm. I, I think I think what's lacking is the ability to sit down and have a conversation. I think that's 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 a lost art. It was, we got to be on some national TV and beating the table, saying you know the president's terrible. Well, I didn't agree with President Obama, uh, Obama either, 
But I, I had no problem, you know, finding my way onto Air Force One to have a discussion with him. I did the same thing with Trump. So I've spent more time with Trump than I did Obama. But, gosh, it's just, you know, we, we all the pieces are here, Jeff. All the pieces are here. We just have to, you know, we talk about food security and we have bycatch issues. You know, this, I mean, we can we can solve these things. I mean, the dots aren't very far apart. We just need to connect them. We're, 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 sorry, how do you have something? Well, I, you know, the other thing I was going to talk about is this. I, I am, you know, one of the reasons that I am running, and it's become even more clear in the last month, is we have – our education system is in crisis. And when you have a governor in one of his first acts as governor signals to the entire state that he wants to balance the, um, you know, balance the books by on the backs of kids, you know, he proposed a 25% cut to education. I mean, when you actually think about that, and that was his signal. That's how, that's, that's what he told parents and teachers and kids that that's what he thought about their education system. He wanted to cut, cut it by a quarter. He wanted to cut the university system by more than 40%. I mean, that's really what started. I mean, teachers, they see the writing on the wall that, you know, they want to be somewhere where they're going to be valued. You know, parents want to be somewhere where their kids are going to get a really good education. And you've got a governor signaling that this is what he thinks about Alaska's education system as a former educator, which just boggles my mind. I have a almost five-year-old daughter who's going to be in kindergarten next year. And I am genuinely worried about the education education system in Alaska. And I will be honest, I think I have taken it for granted um, through the years. And it and it has taken on a different level of importance since I've become a, a parent. And you realize how foundational that is for for every kid, um, it's education is the great equalizer. I mean, I was the 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 daughter of a carpenter um, who worked, you know, building buildings in Fairbanks. And my mom was a pioneer home cook, but I got a great education in the public school system in Fairbanks. And um, I went all through school. We, you know, it was, I mean, we had the best teachers, we had the best curriculum. We just had, I mean, it was a very nurturing education system. It is not that way right now. I am genuinely worried about, class sizes and school and and schools closing. I mean, we're losing population and that's also adding to the problem. The worst thing we can do now is close those schools. It just compounds the issue. Well, the funny thing is they're talking about these anchored schools closing six schools. I mean, deficits like 70 million almost and the schools is going to save like 4 million. It's not going to save any money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I agree. I agree. That's that's a Um, very good point, Jeff. It does. It doesn't solve the problem, but here's the problem. If you kick the can down the road long enough, like we've been doing for 10 years, eventually it's going to kick back. And that's what we have. We've gone through $20 billion of savings, Jeff. $20 billion of savings. Oh, believe very me, quietly, I talk about it all the time. Very quietly, very quietly, you know, just, you know, no one gets too. It, it's, that's what it was I ran, quite honestly, when I, when I ran, uh, was because we were in a $1.6 billion deficit. Nobody was talking about it. And then it went from 1.6 to 4.3. So I guess. Well, what, you know, I, what I want to ask you is kind of on that note, if, if, you know, I, I don't think many of us had, you know, Putin invading Ukraine on the bingo card. And that happened right in February Yeah. Uh, during the session. Mm-hmm. Price of oil was in the 50s and I think 60s, maybe a little more. Boom. You know, it was it was over 100. It was 120. Um, if that wouldn't have happened, where where how do you think things would have ended the session? I mean, I, I think the dividend would have been another another thousand bucks, eleven hundred bucks. And there would have been. Right. The deficit again, or it would have been very, very close. Mm-hmm. And and the whole thing, you know, 
changed with, with this invasion. Right. And, and that's the part of the problem is that, you know, when you're living off the price of one commodity, when you put all your money on one, you know, all on, you know, the red square in, in Vegas, and hope you hope it comes up red. Well, that's me. That's a dangerous. That's me. That's, I'm, a dangerous, no, I'm, that's a dangerous. That's your life plan. I just go for one number. Actually. But you I'm going for the thirty-five oh, really? to one. I'm going yeah. for that. You know, give me like you know seventeen. Let's yeah, but you don't that. you don't put your life savings everything on that necessarily. And that's <laughs> that's what we do as a state. You know, when when oil was down at twenty-six, you can lay down a drill rig, but you can't lay lay down education or public safety or health those kinds of things. So, it, it's a terrible way to run government based upon that. And that's why we we're trying to. That's why we, we passed the Permanent Fund Protection Act and those kinds of things. So. You know, I think it would have been different. The legislature, of course, sets the dividend every year, not not the governor. So the legislature set it. And they set it with these. You know, I didn't disagree with their their energy uh, additional uh, amount for energy. That I think that I think that was that was you know warranted because of the high cost of energy. But that can't be our. Well, that's well, not can't be our long game. My um, and I was very vocal about this you know, when it happened. The Senate, you know, shoots it up to fifty five hundred as kind of a kind of kind of a you know a screw you to the house. We'll yeah. let you guys deal with it. But then the house almost agreed with it, yeah. which hasn't happened since I think 1982 when the normally the each the other body disagrees and they go to this conference deal. Mm-hmm. But, but, but what happened was for, it was 5,500 for four days. The house couldn't, you know, they almost, they were going to agree with it. That dude stopped it. She went in there real quick and adjourned the meeting. Cause it was, you know, they had the votes and then for four days, the public just heard 5,500. The governor was secretly making a deal to veto the 1300 if they agreed and made it 4300 but before that for a year the governor himself Dunleavy in March of 2021 had a press conference with Louis Stutz, Peter Manchicki, Lyman Hoffman, Mike Shower. I mean the whole half the legislature was maybe a third of the legislature was with him and he pitched the 50-50 which which almost kind of gets us. I mean there's still some need for some revenues but but for a whole year and the working group the legislative working group came out and said 50-50 is the this is splitting the POMV you know, 50% for dividends, half for government. It works out this year to about 2,600. For a whole year, everybody pretty much agreed with that mm-hmm. until this Ukraine thing happened. And then and then Dunleavy came out 3,700. Yeah, yeah. And then it came to 43, and then it came to 55. And it's like, how do you, I mean, for a year, everybody was pretty much on board with the 50-50. Yeah. And that's why we need to fix it in such a way that, that it's, it's fair, it's predictable, and it's protected. And I'm, I'm, I've become kind of a, you know, constitutional amendment person on that issue because until we get that resolved, it's going to take up 70, 80% of the time in the legislature and a lot of other things not getting done that need to get done. So that was the business community that has come to me and said, will you commit that you will address that day one? And, and I said, I will, but the process may take longer yeah. than day one, but you got everybody at the table. Well, last thing I want to ask, we're, today's the 27th, so we're, what, 12 days out? I'll probably publish this in the next couple of days, so for the folks listening, we're recording it on the 27th, but uh, what, what's the plan for the next, you know, week and a half for uh, before the folks have already started voting too, absentee and mm-hmm. early. In I per- voted yesterday. Early yeah. in person started on Monday. So there's already, you know, about, I think it was yesterday. I think 15,000, the count was 15,000 had voted already. Yeah. Yep. You know, we're just going to keep moving, keep uh, seeing as many people as we can. And we knock on doors, we go to events, we go to um, all sorts. I dropped the puck at the, uh, the Wolverines game the other night and, and I didn't fall. And you just you just do all you can. And the main thing is to answer questions of folks because they're curious about the biggest curiosity is how do we vote is for, and we help them vote for us. And so but on the ranked choice voting, you know, like I said earlier, every every poll we've seen says that we're the only ones. If, if your if your goal is to replace the current governor, then vote for us. And because I, anybody else is what if somebody what if somebody says, who's your number two? Well, I, I, I for me. 
I'd go. I'd go with Guerra. I'm certainly not going to be if, if my number two was was Dunleavy. I wouldn't be in this yeah, race. Exactly. Yeah, so let's be honest here. So we're, we're you know I'm yeah we're both ranking Les Guerra and Jessica Cook second. But we are what is absolutely clear from from everything that we have seen is that we are the only ticket that can beat Mike Dunleavy, and so we are focused on that. We were on the radio this morning in Talkeetna. We're on the radio. We're talking in Nome. Um, yeah, we're. I mean, we're every day we're on you're, the you're radio. Here, here we're, today we're with here me. With, yeah, yeah. With you're the, you know, that was all just the lead up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah, <laughs> long, well, actually, we can walk away now. We're is, done for twelve days. We're, this is a long forum. So you can <laughs> yeah. say a it is, forum. and I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how much. I mean, yeah, can we know those debates? We've done, we've done twenty, twenty three or whatever. I, I just fifteen seconds. I just watched the House one. I watched yours last week at the debate for the state and the House one. 30 seconds for yeah, you. You can't, you can't so, say no, anything. Really... I, I'm an attorney. I can't clear my throat Wait, in 30 seconds. Host a three-hour, <laughs> if it's going to be four people, host a three-hour debate. Thank you. And, and have some real... Yeah, have some real meat on it. It's rather true. Than dialogue. Yeah. Have, you, know, you know, really have some, like, answer the questions. Sound, yeah. sound bite answers. That friggin', that fucking, that, sorry, that freaking bell that kept be- dinging the whole time. Yeah. yeah it's getting just, very annoying. It's, it's very... Well, it's I mean, not I, a good I, way I, to get to I, know people and understand I applaud them for doing it. I, I applaud them for doing. It. I really, you know, having the debates, and I'm not picking on them, but I wish I, I agree. I wish there were three hours. Well, it's TV, and they're constrained by this, you know, sure, kind of format. Sure. But it, it was it was yeah. not a really um, way to really learn about people or actually actually have right. a debate between the, the candidates. Yeah, because yeah. it, it's the details that make the difference. The sound bites are interesting, but okay, how are you going to do the two dollar gas? How are you going to do it? You know, I want to be able I want to be able to talk about that. And not just and the, the yes or no's were the, the fifteen second. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just it's just tough whatnot. And I, you know, I gotta say, I, I, you know, when I was in office, I, I, I showed up at every debate while I was on the while I was in the campaign, every single one, and I think it's disrespectful. And there's something wrong when a governor will not show up at debates. I mean, he showed up at three out of about twenty. Um, first time in the history of our state that uh, a governor's not gone to Kodiak. Two times when you're in 2018. Yeah, the fisheries debate, that's that's a big one. <clears throat> it's a big one. And you know, most of debates are a mile wide and an inch deep. And Kodiak is an inch wide, 10 miles deep. We, I mean, we, 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 and we, I'll tell you why he doesn't go. He doesn't go because he doesn't have the courage to do it. He doesn't have the courage to stand up in front of these folks that have suffered, um, especially at his hacks, um, Kodiak in particular, you know, fisheries mismanagement, but also the marine highway system. I mean, they are livid. Coastal Alaska is livid with this governor because he has essentially abandoned coastal Alaska, Southeast Alaska by all but dismantling the marine highway system. So the guy just lacks courage. And I will tell you what, I served in office for four years with governor Bill Walker, and I have never seen someone work harder. Um, No one in the administration and everybody would agree with this. No one worked harder than Bill Walker and Bill Walker showed up at every one of those debates four years ago. I mean, that's the that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. Um, it's about where your priorities are, where your heart is at, and and well, the, we we know where where Bill Walker's heart is, and that it's right with this state. Well, at this point, the debates are I mean, more or less, I guess, almost concluded. So we'll we'll uh, we'll see where things end up here, and with the early and absentee, and then we got you know November eighth. That's going to be the big one. So. We're doing our election coverage again, like last time. Oh, when you yeah. guys, are, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. going to invite everyone to come by. We're going to do it downstairs again in the studio. Oh, so we're going to be good. doing the results and coverage and all that. We got <clears> we got a uh, Sharice Millet back, Ivan Moore, and then we got Mark Baggage too. 
Oh, okay. On the panel. Oh, All right. We, we got a good. Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. good. I sat next on. to Sharice on the plane last week. So oh, nice. Yeah. So she we'll told invite, me she was going to be doing it again. invite you folks for that. But yeah. uh, Bill and Heidi, thanks for coming. I know you guys are very busy. Thanks for coming in and talking. Yeah. And Our thanks, pleasure. Um, thanks for doing this. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be seeing how this thing goes down here in the next, you know, less than two weeks. So 12 days. Thanks a lot for coming in, both yep. of you guys. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.